we turned a corner in 1 Corinthians last week when we began chapter 7. Uh, Paul is, is now specifically responding to evidently a letter or a, a, a person that had come to him with a, a list of questions. And so beginning with chapter 7 and really going through chapter 14, he's, he's responding to those questions. And like I said last week, we kind of had to guess at what the question was last week. And, and we talked last week, if you'll recall, about the, the single, married type issue primarily and how uh, what, what is the best way to serve the Lord. And I would envision the question was something along the lines of, hey, Paul, we see that you're single. Should we as married people divorce one another so that we could better serve the Lord in our singleness? And Paul says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Remain the way that you are. If you're married, remain married. If you're single, maybe it's for you to remain single if you're able to do that. And, and, and so he's, he's answering that question. And now chapter 8 is really grouped together with chapters 9 and 10. And so we're just going to cover them all tonight. No, I'm kidding. We're just going to do chapter 8 tonight. Everybody goes, but it's it's just it's a it's a it's one question uh, that he he spends really three chapters answering that question um, profoundly and deeply. But we're just going to cover the be- the beginning of it tonight, and that's that's the question of what should we eat, what should we uh, what what should we ingest, what should we put into our bodies, and uh, and we'll get into it a little bit here. You ready? Verse one. Now, concerning the things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. All right. Now, concerning the things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so we need to talk about that. The things offered to idols, what exactly was he talking about? In that day and age... In the town of, or in the city of Corinth, we talked about how it was a, a literally a, a multi, uh, melting pot of, of various cultures. And so within the town, within the city, there were various religions. Each one of those religions would have had their own temple, would have had their own practices, and, and most often a false religion or, or really any religion, there was a, a, an atoning process or a, a process of, of uh, making end roads to ga- gain the favor of your God. And the way that was most often taken care of was by sacrifice. And so they would bring Fluffy to the, to the altar there, and they would slit the throat of Fluffy and, and, and drain the blood, and, and they would offer this meat to their gods. And then once the meat was offered, they usually divided it into three portions. One was, would be primarily the fat, and the fat would be what was burned on the altar to, to make it a pleasing aroma. I don't know if you smelled fat burning on the grill, but that's a nice smell, I think. And so that's what they would burn to their God. Another third then would go to the priests, and the final third would go to the party and so that they could use it to eat or to celebrate. The, the portion that went to the priests, because they were doing so many sacrifices and it was a common thing, they would get too much that they could consume. And so they started the practice of, of taking that meat, the stuff that they did not want, and then 
setting up a, a little stand right there next to the altar where, or not the altar, where next to the temple rather, where they would sell that meat. Now, Christians have been Christians since they've been Christians. And one of the things we know about being a Christian is you're always looking for a good deal. That's the way Christians are, aren't we? We're always looking for the best bargain. Well, they were in that day as well. And so they would go to this temple butcher shop and they would find that, hey, these choice cuts of meat are really at a good price. So why don't we buy them? Well, some other people were having issues with meat that was sacrificed to a false god. And so now the question comes, what should we do? Should we buy that meat? Should we be good stewards of what we have? Or should we not buy that meat because it's been sacrificed to an idol? So they come to Paul with this question. Paul, being a good pastor, answers the question. And so that's, that's kind of what the role of a pastor is, to, to, to field questions from the people. And so that's what he does. And the way he answers, he says, we know that we all have knowledge. Now, I find that kind of humorous considering some of the things that Paul has said. If you recall his nearly sarcastic tone earlier on in the letter, when, when he was saying, oh, you, you are the wise one. You, you've arrived there, Corinth. You guys have got it figured out. If, if, too bad, if only you were kings, we, would, we as the apostles would ride on your coattails. and You've got it all figured out. You've got knowledge. But now he does say, we all have knowledge. And then he comes to this principle, and this is something we want to probably underline in our Bibles, because this is really the, the theme of the chapter and a wonderful principle for us to walk in. It's that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, or love builds up. The difference being both knowledge and, well, let's talk about the commonalities first. Both knowledge and love gain growth. Love, think of, of blowing a bubble. You're puffing up a bubble. You're gaining growth within that bubble. So in knowledge, which puffs up, there is growth. It's not entirely a bad thing. That's not what Paul is saying here, that knowledge is a bad thing. Knowledge is a good thing because it puffs up. But then he says, but love, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. And so it, rather than it being a building or a, a bubble that's being built, it's like a building being built. Which is more substantial, a bubble or a building? The building, right? And so that's why love would take the, the, the precedence then. Love is, is, in the Christian walk, as we walk this life, success in the Christian walk is not necessarily more knowledge. It's more love. The, the end game of what we do as Christians as we follow God is more love, not more knowledge. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue knowledge, but it's not. But if our, our knowledge is, is just merely knowledge for knowledge's sake, then it is of no value in the economy of God because in the economy of God, he's dealing love. And so knowledge with love is a good thing, but love is the end goal. Does that make sense? You with me on that? Okay, and so that's why he says knowledge puffs up. Not a bad thing. You, bubbles are nice, but love builds up. Buildings are better. 
Okay, that's the principle of chapter 8, right there in verse 1. We could stop right there because he's just going to reiterate it a number of times. We won't stop right there. We will continue on and, uh, and, and kind of flesh it out a little bit. Verse 2 would say, If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as yet he ought to know. Now, I like this. Paul is reminding the quote-unquote wise ones, wise in their own eyes, Hey, just because you think you know something doesn't mean you know it all. Doesn't mean you have all the knowledge. In fact, I don't know, as you guys have, have learned about a specific subject, pick whatever you want. The more you know on a particular subject, doesn't it kind of reveal to your, to you that oh, I've got a whole lot more to learn on this particular subject? I, 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 I had a basic knowledge to begin with. I've improved on that knowledge. And what I recognize is that this is a, the, a field that I, I know very little about in, in, in a, at all. And so we have to, as we grow in knowledge of a subject, as we grow in knowledge of God, as you, as you grow in biblical knowledge, as you grow in understanding, doesn't it, isn't your heart open to the fact that God is so much bigger than you could ever understand? And there's so much more for you to know. And so that helps us to remain in a humble position. And that's what he's saying. If he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But you haven't fully arrived there yet, church, is what he's saying. But if anyone loves God, in verse 3, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Okay, so now he's, he's giving the, the theology behind his answer, and that is you and I, or he's saying to the church, we understand that this meat that is sacrificed to idols, that an idol really is nothing. That, that there is nothing that stands behind that idol. The, the idol is a, a false god that the people that are sacrificing to it are, are delusional in their thinking, that they are led astray, and so that the, in, in that idol that they are offering to, it is really nothing. He's saying, he's going on to then say, we know that there is one true, capital G, God. And, and that is the only God that exists. All other gods are false. And it is, what does he say at the end of verse 6? Uh, we are for him uh, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. I like that. That echoes what we've been teaching on Sunday mornings in John chapter 1. Jesus Christ created all things, and they were created for him and through him. And so that's whom, through whom we also live. So just a simple principle, we understand that idols are nothing, God alone is God. Yeah? Good. Verse 7, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, 
is defiled. And so what does he say? You and I understand this is what he's saying, but not everybody in your church, Corinth, does. Not everybody understands that an idol is nothing. Some people still consider that to be uh, something significant. And so he says not everyone has that knowledge. Some with consciousness of the idol. And, and, And so were they to eat the meat, then their consciousness would become defiled. Now it's interesting that he calls that there the weaker conscience. And it doesn't necessarily mean... How do I want to say this? It it doesn't mean weak in a negative way. It means weak in in not as strong. It means in a lesser way, in a lesser understanding. But not he's not trying to put them down and call them weaklings in their in their consciousness. He's saying their convictions are true to them because this is the way they understand it. And so they have to be obedient to those convictions that they have. And so their conscience or their conviction then is defiled. And so they wouldn't, wouldn't want to eat that meat. So what do we do then? If some are considering that a defiling thing and some are not, what do we do? Now, again, another principle in verse 8. This is, would be what it matters to God. <laughs> but food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat, are we the worse? Okay, so he's saying now as we look at this, whether to eat meat sacrificed to an idol in the eyes of God, is it of any matter? And he said it's, it doesn't gain us any position whether we do eat, and it doesn't lose, or we don't lose position with God if we do not eat. And so he, he's saying... It's a, it's a matter of the heart. What is your, what is your conviction telling you is, is what he's asking them. What, is it, what does it say? Essentially, he's saying our, our diet is inconsequential to God. Other than, and I will, I will parenthetically state this, our, our, let me say that again, our diet is inconsequential to God. Other than, we need to be good stewards of what God has given us. And so we don't gorge ourselves on food uh, because one, that's a waste of food, and two, it's, it's damaging to our bodies. And so as God has given us this body to live in, we want to be good stewards of it. And at the same time, we want to make sure that we you know, aren't going out and eating you know, 35 Snickers a week, as much fun as that would be, <laughs> or Twinkies or Chick-fil-A milkshakes. Chris, <laughs> we need to be good stewards of what God has given us. So now verse 9 would say, beware, or but beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. And so now he's saying, well, hold on. This is how we handle this. Let me give you a warning. May your liberty not become a stumbling block to somebody else who's convicted by eating the meat. For, he says in verse 10, if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? 
And so he's, he's setting up the scenario. You go in and you want a filet mignon and hey, this is a good deal. And they've got the restaurant right here. It's, it's nice. It's, it's being prepared well. Come in, sit down. Yes, it's been sacrificed to an idol, but I'm saving $3. And so why not? And as you're sitting there and enjoying your steak, a, a brother from the church walks by and says, Oh, you're in Zeus's temple and you're eating the meat sacrificed to, you can't, what? And you're sitting there and you're going, well, I've got the liberty. I know that this is, this Zeus is no, no God. And so why not? Why can't I eat this? But the brother with the weaker conscience says, well, you can't do that. And, and Paul says, that's our consideration. That's what we need to consider is, is what will happen to the weaker brother, the one that doesn't have the full understanding that you and I do. And so he says that. He says, because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. We don't want him to be convicted of sin. And so we have to consider our liberties and whether or not we should take advantage of those liberties we have. The concept being, the, the, the more we gain in knowledge, the, the higher we rise in our knowledge and our understanding, the more we are to serve our brothers and sisters. That's the Jesus style. That's the, I mean, he's, he's the highest of the high. There is none greater than him. And he came and served us. He came and, and, and lived a sinless life, a perfect life, and died a death that you and I desire, deserve, the ultimate act of service. And so if he is our example, he is all knowledge, yeah, and has the liberty to do so. But he comes and, and serves us. The higher we rise, the more knowledge we gain, the more we are to submit our liberties to God and serve our brethren. And look at this. Look at verse 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren, he's calling it sin. When you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Well, that echoes the line of David, against you and you alone have I sinned. He says that after his act with Bathsheba. Well, no, David, you sinned against Bathsheba. You killed Uriah. You, you sinned against Uriah by murdering him. But he comes out of that and he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Well, what is he saying? Yes, I've sinned against those other people, but ultimately it falls to our God. And so Paul now saying, when you sin against a brother, when you, when you betray somebody else's conscience, you're sinning against God. This is serious. This is something that we, in, in every aspect, need to consider. And here's how he sums up, and really the last of the chapter. Wow, we're going to get out of here early tonight. How about that for something different? Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. There it is. There's our answer. How do we, how do we handle this? How do we, God hasn't specifically spoken against the eating of this meat. What do we do? Well, if it causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. That's our, that's our principle. And that's one that you and I need to get a hold of in all of our life. If, if, here is the principle. My brother or my sister's 
convictions take precedence over my liberties. Okay? My brother or sister's convictions take precedence over my liberties. Now, you and I, that, as American Christians, that stabs us in the heart because nothing is more important than our rights, are they? Well, yeah, actually, there are things more important than your rights. It's called your brother's convictions. It's called your brother's or your sister's convictions. And so their precedence, their, I'm sorry, their convictions take precedence over my liberties. What is that? That's love. That's love. Love is being other-centered. Love is considering how what I do is going to cause somebody else to see me or to see God. It's considering my actions before I act on them to see if it might stumble anybody else. And then determining I won't do those things, though I have the liberty to do those things, because I don't want somebody else to stumble. it's, it's a servant's heart to say everybody else is more important than I am. Everybody else's feelings on a a particular subject is, is more important than the way I feel or the liberty I have. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know of any meat shops here in town where they're sacrificing to idols. So, where we get our steak is, you know, Kroger is a pretty safe place to get our, our steaks. You know, I don't, I don't think Tyson is out there. I know they sold their soul to Monsanto, but they, they, they aren't sacrificing chickens to idols, I don't believe. And so we're, we're safe in that area. Uh, maybe, if, maybe if we shopped at a halal market, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know what their practices are, the Muslims. But um, safe, safe to say, how do we put this into our lives? How do we make this practical to you and I? If the Bible doesn't forbid it, then we would have the liberty to do it. But then the question becomes, should we? Then the question becomes, if it causes somebody else to stumble, should I do it? And you can put it into a number of different areas. And probably the most common one, the greatest one, would be alcohol. According to Scripture, it would tell us not to get drunk. Okay, we need to stay away from that. That's very clear. We don't get drunk. But it says, wine is there to put a, man, uh, to put a smile on a man's face. Jesus' first miracle, he turns water into wine. It was, it was an accepted thing then. It's okay now. Can I go out and have a glass of wine with my dinner? Yes, I can. The question then becomes, if I do, is it going to cause anybody else to stumble? If somebody, in, as, as I am a pastor, if somebody, and I'm sitting and, and having a, a glass of wine with my dinner, and somebody from our church walks in and says, oh, Pastor Chris, what are you, I, 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 I you know, I, I can't believe that. And, and, and in that, their conviction, maybe they've had a struggle with alcohol, whereas I've never had that struggle. And, and it's something that they have to say, it's entirely hands off. 
But when they see a pastor doing it, or when they see a leader doing it, then that that messes up their conviction. I have to consider those things very deeply to say, is that a place that I can go? Is that a place I should go? I don't want, and and love has to be my motivator to say, I don't want to cause anybody else to stumble. One that, um, uh, another area that, that it was big in the 80s and 90s that isn't much talked about now, or even before that, 50s, 60s, and 70s, it would be the idea of going to see movies. Is it, is it okay to go see movies? Because the generation before us, a lot of Christians were convicted about that, that they shouldn't do that. I was just listening to Chuck Smith, a teaching of his from a couple of years ago, to say he, all the while he grew up, he never went to the movies. Because he had the conviction, what if the Lord would return? And I don't want to be stuck in a movie theater, you know, because he had heard the line. Somebody had spoke it in his ear, and, and wrongfully so, to say, oh, Jesus isn't going to come find you in the movie theater, you know. <laughs> and that's not true. <laughs> but but that convicted his heart for a many number of many years. And so uh, if I go and see a movie... I got invited to go see a movie last week. My brother-in-law invited me to go see a movie. And I was like, oh, man, I, you know what? I love movies. I could, I could handle going for a couple hours and just completely escaping and, and, and living in a, you know, a, a fantasy of two hours to, to see this movie. And it was a movie that was R-rated, and it was rated R because of gore and the language. To be honest with you, language doesn't bother me. I hear it every day at work, and so I'm not. It, it barely influences me. Gore, not a big deal. So I, I kind of justified it in my mind and said, "I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to go. I want to go hang out with my brother-in-law. I love my brother-in-law." And I texted Shell and I said, "Hey, I'm going to go see the movie." And te- her, being my conviction, said, "What are you going to see?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, we're going to see this Metallica movie, and and uh, and so, well, what's it rated?" Well, I I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't considered it. I did a little bit of research, and I'm texting back and forth with her, and she said, "Do you think that's a good idea?" And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that you know, being married to her, she can speak that into my life to say, "Is this a good idea?" And I sat there for a minute, and I said, "No." No, it's not a good idea. I would love to go hang out with my brother-in-law for two hours, and we would have a good time, and probably nothing I saw would particularly offend me. But if I came out of the movie theater and somebody from our church was there, hey, what'd you go see? I saw the Metallica movie. Oh, that satanic band. All right, I won't go. And so I had to text Jared back, and I said, you know what? I'd love to hang out with you. Let's go do something else. Let's let's plan something else. But I can't. I can't go to the movie. And and he totally understood, which was awesome. And he's like, I get it. No problem at all. And uh, and so so we consider we need to consider what we watch. We understand that there's a show on TV today. We don't sacrifice meat to idols, but we'll watch them on TV. American ones. I find it fascinating that the, the, the largest watched show on American television is called American Idol. And so many in the church don't have a problem with that. And everybody's going, oh, crud, I better take it off my <laughs> DVR. If you're not convicted by it, praise the Lord, go, whatever. But 
I, I just wonder about that a little bit. The question becomes, what are we consuming? Because you and I don't consume meat sacrificed to idols, but we consume idols. And so we need to consider what we're putting into our bodies and not only how it impacts and affects us, but the greater thing would be how it impacts and affects others around us, our brothers and sisters. It's when the church becomes, the, the bride of Christ becomes more important to us than our own liberties. That's when we know we're loving. Does that make sense? You with me? All right, so that's the beginning of this argument. Now, it's going to go on to say in chapter 10, it's very interesting, yes, these idols are nothing, but they are backed by demons. And so we're going to get into that as we get into, into chapter 10, and we'll take one chapter a week and just kind of divide it. But, uh, but that's the principle of today. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is a good thing, but love builds up. And so we want to walk in love. All right, let's stand, let's close in prayer. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us and that you are willing to set aside your royal privileges, your royal rights, and you came to this earth in love. And that's amazing, God. So we just say thank you tonight, Lord. I pray that, that um, more, more in our lives, we would become others-centered. That we, we, would, we would consider the needs and the convictions of our brothers and sisters as greater than our liberties. And we would act accordingly. Help us to love our family, this family that you have knit together, God. By the power of your Spirit, can we do that? And so we ask, Father, for more of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.